Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, May 12th, 2020, and this morning, for the first time in several weeks, we had Bible study at 10 a.m. That's usually the time that we would have Bible studies during the week on Tuesday at 10 a.m. before the pandemic hit, and then we took a hiatus from that and went mostly online for things, and we were in the middle of our study on Hebrews, and we got through chapters 1 through 5, and I wish that I would have recorded those because those were uh, some fun classes, a lot of good questions and dialogue and things like that being um, thrown around and discussed. But alas, we don't have those recordings. I didn't start this podcast until after the pandemic hit, so um, we're just going to have to make the best of it. And the way we do that today is we went through mostly a review of chapters 1 through 5. I don't hit on all of the points that I could. It would just take way too long, and we were trying to keep this to about an hour tops. We went a little bit over an hour, like an hour and four minutes or something like that. But we did a review of chapters 1 through 5 in Hebrews. We did a brief introduction into chapter 6 and sort of discussed a little bit. We began to dis- to discuss uh, the first three chapters, uh, or sorry, the first three verses of chapter 6 in Hebrews. So um, hopefully that catches you up a little bit, and we will continue on in that vein. Uh, we're going to record our Bible studies from here on out so that y'all can listen. Whoever's on, whoever's out there listening to these can benefit from them, hopefully, uh, not just from my teaching, but from the, uh, the questions that our members pose, the comments that they have, and things like that. So um, one thing, or a few things that I'm going to note here before we get started is that, um, of course, for those of y'all who are new with us, I, I actually have a stutter. And my stutter sometimes get the, gets the better of me, um, and I'm out of practice when it comes to teaching in person, and so it got me, uh, you know, a little bit rusty there, but um, so I start out a little bit rough, so I just ask that you would bear with me with the uh, pauses and my trying to compose myself and, and, and do what needs to be done in order to be fluent. Um, and also, I would say that um, our sound quality, it, we had to record this in the sanctuary because of social distancing. Um, we are adhering to social distance, distancing practices still, um, and uh, all the, we are adhering to the guidelines set forward by the state of Texas um, because they're reasonable, and um, we want to keep our people as safe as possible, uh, but still gather to hear God's word uh, taught and proclaimed and um so we are gathering now in our sanctuary, and it's a very lively space as far as acoustics go. There's no real soundproofing. There's concrete floors, um, and so the sound echoes, and there's reverberation and things like that. So something to keep in mind, sometimes the comments from and questions from people might sound like they're at the bottom of the well, and when we are back to normal in terms of in our regular room for Bible study, the acoustics will probably be a little bit better. Um, it's a carpeted room and uh, closed off a little bit more, and uh, people will be closer to the microphone and things like that. But all in all, I think it went very well today for our first time back in a couple weeks. Um, and like I said, uh, we will continue on recording our Bible studies from here on out, and uh, hopefully you will benefit from these, and hopefully this one is a benefit for you today um, and your study of Hebrews. Now, without further ado, on to the Bible study. All right, so now we're live. We're not live, live. We're just recording. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer. So, uh, excuse me. So, sorry, kind of out of practice. The, hmm. the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, grant us wisdom to recognize the treasures you have stored up for us in heaven, that we may never despair but always rejoice and be thankful for the 
riches of your grace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so, picking up where we, well, we're going to try and pick up where we left off. Who remembers what we've gone through so far? Yeah, Hebrews 5. We were getting into Hebrews 6, I believe. Would y'all be okay with a quick little recap of what we've gone through? I promise it'll be quick. Uh, well, I can't make any promises, totally. But I will, I will try to make it as quick as possible. So, chapter 1, um, we saw, first of all, because this is going online and we're kind of coming in uh, at chapter 6. So, for those who haven't been following along with us, what is this book of Hebrews? Is it, a, is it, is it just some letter that was sent out? Or is it different in some ways than other uh, books in the New Testament? Is it not? It's like a sermon. Yeah, yeah. It's thought to be a sermon that was either uh, transcribed or that was sent to um, sent to the Hebrews, uh, a Jewish community near Rome, I believe, that um, uh, needed some encouragement, and then. Uh, so we don't know exactly how it was written, as far as whether it was transcribed or whether it was written down and then sent and someone read it in the church service. Do we know who wrote it? No. Not totally. There, it, throughout antiquity, um, all the, at least a, a majority of the church fathers speculated that it was Paul that wrote this. Uh, and it wasn't until you got to the Reformation with Luther and other reformers and scholars saying... No, probably not Paul, maybe Apollos, or maybe Barnabas, or maybe Luke, or somebody like that. It, it just depends on how you view this. But it doesn't really matter so much as who exactly wrote it, because the, the point is that it, that it is inspired. Right? You can see this, and it is on the level of Scripture for sure. So and we're not going to get into all that right now. But okay, so chapter 1, um, we see that... Uh, the the tone is set by that first verse, right? Long ago, at at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So the speaker here is already setting up that uh, in this sermon, just like all sermons should be, the pastor who is preaching ought to be preaching the pure. Word of God, right? That while the pastor's lips are moving, you should be hearing Jesus, right? That's 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 the point he's getting at right here. And then he's talking about he's he's laying out this um, this Christology here, who Jesus Christ is, right? Um, There's probably already at that time some contentions about the. The issue of Christ's divinity and his humanity, right? Um, what, is, what is this uh, writer of Hebrews saying about Jesus in chapter 1? What do you all remember from that? Not everybody at once now. Right, he is he is the the creator of the universe, right? He he is the the word, right? And I mean, he's not being explicit like John is in his gospel, but through Jesus, all through Christ, through the Son, the God, the Son, and then Christ incarnate in Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the 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 very word that creates. Right, um, we see he's disputing, saying that you know this, he's not just he's not just just some created being like an angel, right? He is the only begotten Son, you know, um, and that he is at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, right? So he's definitely putting Jesus above. The angels here, 
And then he said, um, let me see here. And then he even says that it's not just that he's above the angels, but that the angels testify to him, right? He just goes above and beyond using what? Reason? Logic? What does he use to prove his point? Who said scripture? All right. You can speak up a little bit. The microphone's not that sensitive. Uh, it's scripture, right? He, what's, which scripture does he specifically use? What book? Well, which one does he quote from? Mostly. Uh, the Psalms, right? He quotes from the Psalms to prove his point. Um, and, you know, this is kind of funny because um, he quotes scripture verbatim, right? And pretty close um, to what we can see elsewhere, right? He, he quotes it, and he's probably doing this from memory. Now, what did we say before about what, how significant this is for us today as far as being able to quote scripture from by heart, I should say, that these verses were probably used in his catechesis, in his catechism classes, as we would call them now, right? He had to learn these by heart to know who God is and the attributes of God and the relationship with the created beings and everything like that. And then when he's given this gospel of Jesus Christ as the... Uh, as the only Savior, that's when, just like with Paul, that's, I think I'm kind of one of the proponents that it might be Paul, but that's, that's why he, he, he can say, oh wow, this stuff makes sense now. It makes sense that all these things about God that we were just kind of scratching our heads about, like who it, how does this make sense? It all makes sense now. It's all revealed and clarified because of Jesus, right? So moving on to chapter 2. Um, he is, well, what is, what is going on in chapter 2? You'll probably have uh, section headings there. You can kind of give me a little bit of a rundown about what is going to on. pay attention. Mm-hmm. Do not drift away. Right. Uh, we talked about in chapter 2 how he's saying uh, the, the Greek is talking, it's making this um, connection to a ship that's lost its mooring. You know, don't just drift away. And you can think of uh, something like Ephesians where Paul says, um, so that you will no longer be like children tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine, right? And so it's this being connected to God's word. Um, and it is making a connection with his current audience to what other group of people that we learn about in Scripture. Or am I getting ahead of myself? Um, well, I guess you could say that all of God's people here have seen had seen the witness of God worn out in front of their eyes, right? By signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Um, he goes on about the angels here. We're going to keep on moving here. That uh, he's still talking in this high Christology that Jesus Christ is the uh, true God made flesh to come and grant us salvation, right? Um... But he also says, what, uh, starting in verse 9, how does he make a connection here with who Jesus is and where we are within our faith? Looking more towards like the middle to end of verse 9 there, chapter 2. Anybody want to read it out loud for us? But we see 
we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor mm -hmm. because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Right. So there's, there's this understanding that it's, it's talking about the humiliation of the Son of God. He came down from heaven, right, and was made man, right, and um, suffered for us not only in his death but in his life, right, that he bore our sins all the way to the cross. For a little while he was made lower than the angels, and then he's crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering. He suffered for us, and that's what makes it so great. That's what makes what he did so great. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And then he goes on saying that, um, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Right? And that's another connection to us now. I think, well, if you can see a connection now with this pandemic, that in a lot of ways people are suffering. In a lot of ways people are wondering what is the point of all this suffering? Where do I turn to for comfort and consolation? Um, and we as Christians should be ready and on the ball to say, Christ, turn to Christ. He is the one who suffered all things for you. So that even though you may taste death, that is not the end, right? That through his suffering, he was made perfect, and we are made perfect through Him. Not by what we do, but by what He has done, right? It's just being ready and on the ball to say, Jesus Christ is the answer, point blank, to the answer for suffering. Um, and that, you know, uh, as we sang uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Why Should Cross and Trial Grieve Me, one of my favorite hymns by... Paul Gerhardt, the last stanza, um, what does he say? Um, oh, what does it say? You know, that um, Christ has made my death a portal from, this, from the strife of this life to his joy immortal, right? Now in death, now in Christ, death cannot slay me, though it may not, night and day trouble and dismay me. This is a good reason to learn certain stanzas of hymns by heart that, that really can add a lot of comfort to you as well. Um, and I've sang them enough in hospitals and in um, shut-in calls that it's ready on my mind uh, to just kind of paraphrase a quote. It's very comforting. Okay, so um, we see here that he's made, uh, that, that Jesus is made, or had to be made, like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful, a, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's another aspect of what it means to suffer. And can suffering be temptation? Yeah, how? Right. That Right. There's there's this temptation to forsake God in the midst of suffering. To say, God's not helping me out. Why should I believe in him? When in reality what they're actually probably saying is God's not helping me out the way I want him to help me out. Right? Um which is one of the little tricks and crafts of Satan to try and say, you know, God has promised you all these things, and yet, look, you, you have, you're, you're in a miserable place, you know, depending on who it is. You don't have a job now. Uh, you may not have a job for some time. You're going to have to depend on the government, possibly, to get by on things. And, you know, you're, you're stuck inside or you're trapped away from your family and friends. How is God there for you, right? It's a lie that... Satan tries to tempt you with, with the suffering. But we see here that Jesus has suffered on our account, and he's made propitiation for our sins. Right? He has atoned for them, he has paid for them, 
And because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Right? So, that's the end of chapter 2. Moving on to chapter 3, we're rolling along. If anybody has any questions, feel free to stop me. Um, chapter 3... Well, I guess, I guess before we move on to chapter 3, there's a theme that started here in chapter 2 that is played out, and Dr. Kleinig in his commentary makes the point that the main theme, he thinks the main theme of this whole book is reinforcing the understanding that Jesus Christ is the high priest, right? Is the great high priest above all high priests, making propitiation for our sins before God the Father. Um, and you see it begun here, and he fleshes it out more and more as we go along. Um, all for our good, all for our benefit and comfort and peace, right? Because suffering in this world is caused by sin, not necessarily our specific sin, though there are consequences for specific sins. But this pandemic, uh, don't listen to any televangelists or people on TV who say this pandemic is a cause for, is, is caused by the specific sins of the world. That they've accepted homosexuality or that they um, have forsaken Christianity as a whole or this, that, and the other. This stuff is caused by sin in general. And pandemics have come and gone throughout the history of the world. Right? Bubonic plague, uh, you know, Luther knows something about that one. Uh, the plague, uh, the pandemic of uh, the Spanish flu, 1918 most recently, the polio epidemic, all these things have come and gone, and the church has still stood. Right? That's one of our comforts as well. The church will stand until the end when Christ comes again. Um, so, okay, chapter 3. <laughs> Um, he makes this point. What is, what is the main point here in that first part of chapter 3 if you have a, a section heading? kind of helps you get an idea. Jesus is greater than Moses. Right. Jesus is greater than Moses. And what is the point of saying that Jesus is greater than Moses? I mean, why bring that up? What's the point? Well, who's he talking to, first of all? What group is this geared toward? Hebrews, Jews, right? Who do they, who did they hold, and still to this day, who do they hold as the highest prophet to ever come? Moses. Moses, yeah. And why was it Moses? He was the most faithful. Yeah, I mean, well, he, yeah, he was, he was counted amongst the greats. I mean, you could say that he was just as good as David and any, other, and any other sinner in the Old Testament as far as his faith. But he was the one who God delivered the law through, right? We have God's will known through the law because Moses was the one to hear it and then put it down on stone and, and give it to the people, right? He's the lawbringer, I guess you could say. Um, but we're seeing here that... Um, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting, excuse me, in our hope. And we understand this to be, you know, Christ is the cornerstone. He is the guide and the rule for all belief, right? Everything that is known about salvation only comes through Christ. Um, and we looked, I think, before about how uh, basically the house of God is built upon Christ as the cornerstone and then the foundation, the rest of the foundation leading off from that cornerstone is the teaching of the apostles, right? 
um, which is why it's made such a big deal in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Right? Um, okay, but it all starts with Christ. That's the point. That even Moses was, um, was looking forward to Christ. Um, and there's another part here where what happened with Moses, and I think it's kind of alluded to at the beginning, that's the brilliance of this book, is that in chapter 1, Jesus is shown to be, chapter 1, verse 3, you see that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, as he, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And we see that he is the radiance. What happened with Moses when he came down the mountain after communing with God? His face was glowing. Yeah, his face shone very brightly. And that's been attributed to something like the moon, when the moon reflects the brightness of the sun. Right? His face shone because he was in the presence of God. He had to wear a veil over his face, right? But this, this sermon is saying that Jesus is even greater than that. He is the very radiance itself. And that's another aspect I think that the audience might have made a connection to. Um, especially when getting to Moses. Um, and then we get to the next part, which is uh, my section heading here, which is a nice little guide in chapter 3. A rest for the people of God. And we see this quotation from Numbers, right? Um, wait, is that right? That's right. Uh, Psalm 95, that's right. And then uh, chapter 11, sorry, verse, verse 11 and verse 9, you see like Exodus and Numbers quoted here. And what you see, what is what is going on here with these quotations? Is this a rebellion of God's people? Right. Yeah, God's people rebelling against God. They have. They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our, our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we see here another warning, right? Stay in the word of God. But also, and there's some connections here that the writer of Hebrews makes a lot when he's talking about the high priests, when he's talking about the service of God, he's talking about the new sacrifice that has replaced the temple sacrifice, right? Um, not that, you know, what sacrifice is he talking about? So if there's a temple sacrifice, right? Blood must be spilt and poured over the altar. Uh, whose blood now has paid the price for all sin in the world? Yeah, Jesus' blood. has. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the very high priest who sprinkles his own blood on the mercy seat, right? Um... And now we will see this recurring picture of Jesus as high priest, right? Um, and here we see that we should encourage one another, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, and this is all hearing, attached to hearing God's word. Now, in this time, where would you normally hear God's word? In your own homes, because you had a Bible in your home? No. no. Where would it be? The temple. Yeah, in the temple. 
or in the gathering of the body around the altar, right? Now in this new um, gathering of God's people, that's not just based on uh, birthright genetics or anything like that, like it was in days of old. Now it is based solely on faith. And that there is a new temple within every different gathering of the body of Christ around the altar, right? That it's not that, you know, and we would understand that as the divine service, where we receive Holy Communion. The body and blood of Christ is not re-sacrificed, but it is provided for us, and it is the body and blood of Christ that has been sacrificed once and for all on the cross, and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. It is, that is what we get in Holy Communion. The forgiveness of sins won by Christ and his sacrifice made for us. Okay? All right. We're making our way pretty good here. Uh, I'm resisting the urge to talk about other things and you get divergent. Um, so chapter 4. What do we see in chapter 4? Um, we see an extenuation. We, we see an, an extension of this understanding of the rest that we get from Christ, right? Beginning in chapter 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And these are the ones who rebelled against God's word, right? Um... um and he's still talking about those who don't believe will not enter the rest that God provides in Christ. Um, and I think he, he even says, you know, um, there's a part here that those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you, heard, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And like I said, when you hear his voice spoken in his word, primarily that should be in church, right? That should be in the gathering of the saints around the word and the sacraments as we Lutherans understand. Um, you can do that now, on an individual basis, gathering around God's Word in your own homes. I think if there's one thing that I really wish I would have done more when this whole pandemic started, I wish I would have emphasized, you know, the, the importance of something like a home altar. Having a Bible on the altar with a, you know, catechism and the hymnal or something like that, where the family gathers and the head of the household acts as, you know, um, that family's guide, their pastor in the house, as it were, uh, to guide them in the reading of Scripture and the hearing of Scripture on a daily basis, longing for the time when we could gather as the full body of Christ to hear God's Word and be given the sacrament once again after the pandemic's over, right? So I wish I would have made that more, much more explicit. I guess I'll do that from here on out. Um, but We've been given such a great gift in having God's Word, I mean, just freely printed and in our hands that should take as much advantage of it as possible without neglecting the gathering in church to hear it proclaimed uh, on, on the Lord's Day. So, um, so he's talking about entering the rest and then Jesus as great high priest. The end of chapter 4 here. Um, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He goes on in chapter 5, For every high priest chosen from among men 
is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Uh, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So he's talking about the high priests that would come forward, and they would have to make offering not only for the sins of the people, but for their own sins, right? But now Jesus is the great high priest who has no sin to atone for himself, because he doesn't need to, but he atones for everyone's sin because he understands what it means to be tempted by sin, right? Any questions about this? I'm going a little fast here, but, but um, yeah, time's, like, time's taken on, so let's keep going in chapter 5 here. Um, and there's all these warnings against apostasy, against unbelief, against falling away, right? Um, we see that in the end of chapter 5, uh, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. You know, he's talking about Jesus as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Um, <laughs> and he's kind of bold here, right, at the end of chapter 5, uh, talking to uh, the congregation. Um, about this, which is Jesus as high priest, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the... is for the... Mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, is this harsh? Yeah, you could probably say it's harsh. Is it necessary? He thinks it is. He is, he is the teacher. He is the teacher of these people. He knows them well enough to be able to make that call. So I'd say, yeah, it's probably necessary, and it is necessary sometimes for pastors to come in and say, y'all, well, they probably wouldn't say y'all, but um, they might say y'all in the Greek because they have a word for that. That's why um, we in Texas and in the South have uh, more correct grammar for translating sometimes. Uh, we say y'all ought to be doing more. And I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about diligent study, diligent meditation, and abiding in the Word of God. And that includes not just coming to church, but also studying on your own. And for us now, we have Bible study. Um, and I think it's kind of a modern thing for us to have Bible study, because if you look at old sermons from like Luther's time, that was the Bible study. The sermon would go on for 30 minutes to an hour sometimes, depending on what the people needed to hear uh, from the texts that were given for that day. Uh, they were literally a teaching time where the pastor would ask questions of, why should we pay attention to this? Because da 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 Why does this matter? Because da 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 You know, and it rattled off all these things. But now that we have those kind of things separated, um... Bible study has become fairly necessary to get that deeper understanding of God's Word, unless y'all want to do away with Bible study and I'll just turn my sermons into a Bible study themselves. Um, I don't know if the visitors would necessarily agree with that, but um, worth considering. <laughs> All right, so he says, you know, that he's, he's getting on them about uh, not doing what's, what needs to be done because we are right when we say that it is the faith of a child that counts. Abraham was declared righteous on the count of his faithfulness, right? That he believed that it was counted to him as righteousness. That's really what it says in Romans and in Genesis. That we are not, we are not made 
more righteous because of our study of the scriptures. But we are, uh, we are more well-equipped to handle certain temptations when they come our way. We are more well-equipped to distinguish good from evil, to be able to hear what's said on TV or what's said in conversation and be able to say, yeah, that's right on, or something's not right about that. Right? I need to look and see what Scripture says about this. Something, you know, you're... Your, um, your spidey sense is tingling, if you will. You know, it's like you, you, you just hear something and it goes, whoa, that doesn't sound quite right. I don't know exactly why. And in that sense, you can say that, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit is telling you, uh, time to check the scriptures and see what's going on, right? And you would only, you'd be more well-equipped to do that if you abide more in God's word. Um, let's go on to chapter six. Well, that was a pretty quick little recap by my standards at least. Um, as you know, I get off on the tangents. Um, okay. Chapter six. Okay, let's just read. I'll read through. Um, chapter six is fairly short. I'll read through for the sake of the microphone here. And once we get into the other room, after we can limit the social distancing thing, we'll be able to read more freely, and this will pick up a lot more people to read. But uh, chapter 6, let's just make it through verse 3, see how we do. Uh, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. That's <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. You're okay. Technical difficulties, folks at home um, who are listening in. Um, okay, so Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the, the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the found, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay? So, um, let me ask y'all a question now. Uh, now that we've gotten through that review and we have plenty of time to talk about this for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, what sometimes prevents... Oh, here, let me see here. Um, Yeah. Why should adult Christians, you know, we have this understanding that, um, well, here, let me ask this. Many Christians receive a course on basic Christian teaching as they're growing up or when they're uh, adults, they become members of the church. Why is such instruction a necessary foundation for adult church membership? What's the point? Why don't, why don't we just say, oh, you want to join? Sign this piece of paper, now you're a member. A lot of churches do that, but why don't we do that? Because you need a strong foundation. Yeah. Um, if they don't understand, they can create divisions in the church. That's why, that's why it's important that um, when we are uh, bringing new members in, I'm still figuring out a course, and I'm sure it'll be revised for you know however long it needs to be. You know, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Iowa, he he said, you know, there are a lot of churches that have you know it's like only six weeks, ten weeks, so many weeks. He said the people that want to join don't even know the basic stories of the Bible. So, and they're not even baptized. Uh, and I don't necessarily agree with his approach on this, necessarily, but, I mean, he might have his reasons, that he said, I want to catechize them, I want to teach them, and we're going to go through the basic stories, you know, Abraham, you know, Noah, I got those out of order, so 
we'll go through Adam and Eve, we'll go through Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all you know, leading all the way up to Christ, and that's going to take us to next Easter. I said, whoa, that's pretty intense. He's like, well, if they want to know what we believe, we, I need to make sure that they at least get a good idea, and I can't even be sure that they will get it all within that amount of time. There's so much there. Uh, and I was like, well, I mean, to each his own. Uh, I don't necessarily think that I would do something like that, but he has a good point that a lot of people don't even know the basics of the faith. They don't even know the basic scriptures. They are children, as it were. But we also make sure with adults that they understand or they break down these preconceived notions, especially about things like holy baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because I've had plenty of conversations with Christians uh, of different uh, confessional backgrounds, namely of the Reformed Calvinist kind of stripe, where they'll say, um, we hold baptism and the Lord's Supper in very high regard. And I'll say, okay, being a good Lutheran, what does this mean, a high regard? You know, And they'll say, well, I mean, baptism is very important because it is the outward sign of the inward changing of us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I say, that's where you lost me. Because it's not just a sign. It is the washing away of sin with the water and the word. And then when you get to, you know, Holy Communion, um, this is why it's important to understand these things and, be, and, and to have people come in and say, oh, I believe that it is that I'm eating the body and blood of Christ. And then I say, okay, well then, what do you mean you're eating the body and blood of Christ? Because that can mean a lot of different things depending on who you ask. And they'll say, well, I'm spiritually eating only. That the body and blood of Christ, I, I ascend spiritually and receive it that way. And that's when I say, well, that's where we kind of have a problem. Um, you don't ascend anywhere. Christ descends to you and feeds you himself. But... If you want to join our church, we have plenty of opportunities for us to talk more about this, right? Um, and so it's, it's important that we get these things hashed out because if we don't stand on good, pure doctrine, good, pure teaching, it's just what that means, solid biblical teaching, we might be leading people to um, thinking that it's really not worth knowing much of anything about this faith, and if it's that easy to join, then what's the point of, you know, trying to grow? Hey, I'm already in. What's the point of continuing on, right? So we have to make this, this very balanced appeal to people, saying um, it's not so much about what you know and about how you can exactly describe this, that, and the other about the sacraments, but to say, do you believe what Scripture says about them? And sometimes that requires a lot of breaking down of barriers of preconceived uh, notions about how things work. Right? Don't we have to consider here who he's talking to, though? He's talking to someone that has been, he's talking to a group, a mm -hmm. congregation that has been in the Word. And so they do have a conversation. They're not coming in cold. Right. So um, he's, he's, seen, he's seen the congregation where they are now, and they all, they all have a foundation. What you're speaking of is someone that doesn't have a foundation. So, But he's also making the point that, no, I get your point, but the, the other point is, is that if they're still only on the foundation, they should be teachers themselves, but they're not able to. They're stuck on the fundamentals, which is not a bad thing. I mean, no, I understand, but yeah. what I'm saying is the audience is someone that is at least in the foundation, whereas when you go outside, yeah. you know, outside the doors, the foundation isn't there, so your approach to them has to be, you're not talking to them about mature faith right now, you're talking to them about the foundation. Well, yeah, but let's also keep in mind that... Um, how can you go out and even talk about the foundations when you're only stuck on that and you barely understand that yourself? I mean, there's two sides of the coin. No, that's very true. I'm not disagreeing with you. You're totally right 
you have to have, in fact, there's, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, you know, missionary methods that having a solid foundation of what it, of, of the life of Jesus, how he came, what he came to do, how he achieved what he came to do in terms of dying for our sins. That's the basic stuff that needs to just be re, just retold over and over and over again to people outside the church for sure. Um, what he's saying is that how can you even do that when you barely understand it yourselves? I mean, he, because because uh, reaching out to the community, uh, it really can't be done as effectively unless the people themselves who are going out there to reach out to people are well invested and are able to be teachers themselves. Knowing the fundamentals so well that they can explain all the different, or at least most of the different questions that someone might have. Uh, I can remember a time when I was talking to a guy back in Richmond, and he grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, right? And he has questions himself. He doesn't believe what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe anymore, but I wasn't necessarily well equipped to talk to him about who Jesus was at the time, you know? Although I should have been able to, because I was, uh, you know, lifelong Christian. Uh, I should have been able to say, well, Jesus did this and this and this, and this is how, what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe are wrong, or at least the basics, you know? Um, so I'm not, I'm not getting on, on, on anybody's case about uh, anything specific, but I am saying that sometimes the pastor is saying, you know, uh, in order to grow more, we got to get into the nitty gritty of things. And y'all got the basics down. Let's move on from there, right? Uh, because when we move on from there, then we can start to see the understanding grow a little bit more so that we're better able to share God's word outside of these walls. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's two sides of the same coin, right? Um, any questions about that? I mean, yeah, but even though you have the foundation, if you're not in the word and maintain that foundation, over time you're gonna lose parts of the foundation or the whole foundation. It's a perpetual thing. And just because somebody's gone through confirmation been baptized and all that, that doesn't mean that they have a good foundation. Because the world and Satan are always trying to intercede and say, well, that you know, that's not really true. That's not the way it was. It's yeah. a representation. Or more more likely, they had a good foundation, but now it's crumbled away. Um, that it's it's been neglected to the point where Weeds and everything have started to grow through the cracks, and it breaks up even more to the point where you have nothing left to stand on. Um, if, if we're going to continue on in the metaphor there, um, so I'm not saying yeah. So yeah, confirmation is good in terms of the catechetical instruction. Um, we need to teach our children. We need to teach our adults. We need to. I mean, there's, there's many ways of going about this, but he's basically saying, um, you know, it's kind of funny, but I don't know if I brought this up the last time, it's been so long since we talked about this, but um, when, a, when, a, 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 when a new pastor comes in, um, especially one from the seminary, uh, sometimes people get uh, reinvigorated in some ways, because just like with a basketball team or a football team, what is a new coach? Uh, you know, this, it's a loose comparison here. Okay, so uh, what happens when a new coach comes and join, comes in, uh, takes charge of uh, a new team, basketball, football, baseball, whatever? What do they focus on? The fundamentals. They focus on the fundamentals. They go back to the basics and they say, let's evaluate. Let's see what y'all know about the basics, and let's move on from there as best we can, right? You can only grow, you know, based on how well people are picking it up as we go along. Um, and it's a weird thing, because it's not that knowledge is the most important thing, but the abiding in God's word, 
the knowledge of salvation strengthened by abiding in God's word contributes toward at least a growing in the understanding. And also, God's word promises that the more that you dwell in the word, the more your life will be centered around it and also uh, fortified by it. And your joy will increase the more you hear and the more you know about just how much God loves you and just how he shows that he loves you in sending Christ to die for you, right? And forgive you of all of your sins. Right, yeah. Well, the ser- in the sermon, right? Sermon. Yeah, sermons. Um, the sermon. What's that, discernment? Discernment. Okay, yeah, discernment. I thought you said the sermon. I was like, yeah, the important too. Um, discernment, yes, is very important, and that comes with time and experience. Luther was a big proponent of that, saying, you know, he, he knew the Psalter back and, like, backwards and forwards, but without his experience of facing the trials and temptations and actually praying the Psalms, he never really gained the full understanding of just how rich that word was without the cross that he was given to bear. So it does come from experience, but if you only have the experience over the scriptures, I mean, then you're going off of anecdotal things as opposed to having your experience be informed by God's word and strengthened by God's word as you go along, right? And I know that, you know, everybody can do better at this. I can definitely do better at this myself. Um, I get bogged down all the time with, you know, uh, doing... um, Recording the services, recording the Bible study, making a website, you know, uh, keeping in touch with people to see how things are going, and rearranging the chairs to make sure that we have a good flow for communion, and, and, and I get bogged down, um, and, and sometimes I let things lapse. Um, so, we, we have a few more minutes here, about six minutes. Let's try and get through a little bit more here. Um, What are some things, let me ask this question, we can talk about it the rest of the time here. What are some things a mature Christian is equipped to do that a quote-unquote baby Christian is not? So what is a mature mature Christian equipped to do that a baby Christian is not equipped to do? What do y'all think? Quote the scriptures. Yeah, either verbatim or paraphrase, you know, yeah. by heart. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing um, uh, um, that was really drilled into our heads in the seminary by a certain professor uh, saying, don't memorize, learn by heart. <laughs> that, because memorize, it, they're synonymous to be sure, but to memorize is just this mechanical regurgitation, you know, um, what is, what is, the first commandment, um, you, sh- you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? It's just like, but if you go, if you only do that sort of thing, if you only regurgitate so much without really abiding in that understanding and saying, what does it really mean to fear God? What does it really mean to love God? What does it mean to trust God above all things, right? Um, to really... Take the time uh, and really know what what these things mean for us and for all people, right? Um, I think we can get very bogged down so much in our own experiences to where we'll say, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing necessarily, but that saying, you know, this is how my life has been changed by Christ. I'm benefited in this way. Um, but sometimes I think people get bogged down so much in that that other people will say, so what does that mean for me? How does that matter to me? Um, and to think of an extreme example, an alcoholic can say, my life was changed by Christ and now I'm, I don't drink anymore. But if they're talking to someone who's not an alcoholic, who doesn't struggle with that problem, they may say, well, 
so what? I don't struggle with that. What does that have to do with me? So we have to be able to say, balance that experience with God's word to say, um, above all, whether you're an alcoholic, a drug addict, whether you're a gossip, whether you're a liar, whether you're a cheat, whether you're a murderer, what matters most is that Christ has died for you and forgives you of all your sins. And you receive that benefit by trusting that he has done this for you. That's what it means for everybody on the most basic level. Um, so a mature Christian would be able to really say that to somebody. To also, I think, to say to a baby Christian, um, well, what is something that all Christians experience and struggle with in life? Pain, hardship, fear, turmoil. Depression, uh, strife, temptation through suffering. A baby Christian, when they are going through the cross that has been placed upon them, whatever that may be, they may think to themselves, I thought that being a Christian, everything was going to be good. Why is it so painful? And then a mature Christian will be able to come to them and say, well, you know, Jesus did say... Whoever desires to come after me must pick up his cross and follow me. That this is a way that God is showing you that your full dependence needs to be on him. Does that sound fair? I mean, it depends on who you ask. But most of the times they're going to say, it's not fair. I didn't, deserve, I didn't do anything to deserve this thing. But then a mature Christian will be able to come alongside them and say, let's, let's take a look at Job what he had to go through. Let's take a look at what, the, what Paul suffered on account of God's word shown through Christ. You know? So we'll be able to come to them and also share with them saying, I've struggled, and that's where we might be able to say, I've struggled with this. And I remember, uh, this is bad that we're recording this because I can't remember exactly where this is. 2 Corinthians 12 or where, where you know, Paul says, you know, I pleaded with God for him to take this thorn from my side. And then he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Right? A mature Christian will be more readily able to supply God's word in those times and be able to help uh, a baby Christian, quote unquote, to know where to go to look in the scriptures to find that comfort and solace. Right? So those are just a few examples, but that's another, those are all ways, and there's even more ways that we as mature Christians can um, help those who are new in the faith as well. Um, leading by example. Leading by example. If you're excited about sharing the gospel with other people, others will be excited too. Right? And that puts some responsibility on my shoulders because I need to be excited about sharing the gospel with other people um, and not to talk too much about myself but I have my own struggles with my speech impediment even just introducing myself to people so that's one of my crosses to bear to be able to understand that um, even in my imperfect manner of speaking God's word still does its work the Holy Spirit still works and if God can speak uh, comfort and solace through a person who has a hard time speaking, he can do it through y'all as well. Right? Um, uh, so, any questions about that? We're, we're out of time uh, right now. But uh, any, any, any final thoughts, questions about these things? I think we did pretty good today, getting through uh, a good overview and getting kind of into some more meat meat and potatoes, uh, the solid food, as it were, um, that Hebrews talks about here. Any questions? Comments? Well, that's why Bible studies are important to get together with people of different generations with different life experiences because it's about taking the foundation in the Word 
but empathy and concern and care for other people's lives as they work through through issues, and that's what we hear here sometimes in our in our, in our Bible study. In that you know, with real real life experiences, nothing speaks stronger than that. Yeah. When well, someone has had a similar experience, you can relate something that's similar. Yeah. And the mutual consolation of the saints is. What's that? It helps both parties grow. It does, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I am the pastor here, but that that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm the most uh, uh, that that I'm uh, the most wise, <laughs> as it were. I'm still growing in my faith too, you know, and being able to help others, as you said. Uh, who um, may just be asking, you know, Pastor, what does it say in the Bible about this? Well, I've really thought about that. Let's take a look, right? It does help both parties grow, and that's how, um, as it says in um, Ephesians, that uh, speaking the truth in love, we will grow together as the body of Christ, that every joint and ligament will grow towards the head who is Christ. We're always trying to, we're always seeking to grow in our maturity of faith, and that is growing more into the head who is Christ. There's much more to be said about that, but uh, I'll save that for some other time. We'll, we'll, we'll cut it off here. Been a little bit over, but that's okay. Um, it's really good to be back. I'll, be, I'll, I'll say that as like a closing comment here. It's really good to be back, um, even with the social distancing, good to see people. I know that Sunday it was wonderful just to, to hear everybody's voices singing and, and responding back. As much as I appreciate um, what Pastor Snyder did in, in be, being here for the recordings, uh, it's not the same, that, you know, me and him singing the hymns and having the uh, responses and everything like that. It did the job in the gap of it all, but it's not the same as having everybody here, or at least most back. So, so thanks for being here. Um, let's let's close this uh, session as we normally do with the with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.